Good morning. I am happy to be here with you guys today. Um, man, the uh, the drive here was amazing. For those of you who don't know, I, I am currently living in Council Bluffs. Um, we uh, we're going to be living in Council Bluffs until we're going to move up here this summer, um, and so I'm commuting every day, and I'm commuting on Sundays. Um, I can tell you that. Uh, Driving back and forth every day this week, I am really anxious to move to Whiting. <clears throat> but that being said, the drive this morning, uh, I left my house uh, when it was still pitch black out. And of course, you know, I needed to pick up coffee because I'm addicted to caffeine. So I drove through my Starbucks and uh, got that on my way up here. But right about uh, five miles south of Mo Valley, the sun starts rising over the Lus Hills. And like there's like mist in the fields and there's like the color changing on the trees and oh, it was the most beautiful sight. It was awesome. It was just a, a nice remembrance this morning of we serve a God that, that loves us so much that he puts beauty in the sunrise. You know what I mean? Well, hey, <coughs> so, hi. <laughs> um, it's been kind of a crazy, crazy season hasn't it? It's been a crazy year. I mean, we have the realities of COVID knocking on our door, and we're never really sure what that means half the time. Uh, civil unrest, like we haven't seen in generations. Uh, financial impacts that we have yet to really fully embrace or figure out. Our everyday looks different. Uh, how do we leave our house? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? What businesses are open? What does our life even look like moving forward? And then to add all that, we have the political drama that we've just all experienced and will most likely continue to experience for weeks on end, right? There's so many battles. There's so many arguments. There's so many sides that want us to weigh in now, right? I mean, you have a Republican, Democrat. You have Huskers, Hawkeyes. You have pineapple on pizza, which I'm all for, just so you know. I stand firm on that flag, I love pineapple on my pizza, and I will defend it. But with so many voices trying to gain our allegiance, trying to gain our devotion, trying to gain, I'll even say it, our worship, it's infuriating. Because where is our actual source of truth? What actually deserves our allegiance, right? For the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about our true source of hope, our true source of salvation, our true source of identity, who we are as a people. What are the things that truly matter in our increasingly divided and increasingly polarized world? I'm calling this series Lift My Eyes after the opening words of Psalm 121. Each week, we're going to read this psalm and meditate on its meaning, Psalm 121. And I actually, I want to encourage you that over the next three weeks to take time regularly and read this psalm to yourself. Whether you, uh, you bookmark that in your Bible and you just flip open it every couple days or so, or you throw it on a uh, version, plug your phone into your car on your way to work or whatever, and listen to it, Psalm 121 takes a couple minutes and just read through it. You know what? I'm even going to let you off the hook. Not even every day. As long as you're doing it like three times a week. If you could do it every day, rock on. But no, just let's rest in Psalm 121 for the next three weeks. 
Just sit in those verses. The words of 121 speak directly to the uncertainty that we all feel in a season like this. Okay, so I'm going I'm to read it to you here real quick. Psalm 121, in its entirety. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my hope come from? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who's singing this song right now? I am, yeah, okay. <laughs> he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Where does our help come from? Who is our ultimate source of truth and hope? God is our ultimate source of truth. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. As king, God has promised to protect us from harm. Now I want to make one thing clear here. God does not promise to save us from hardship. God does not promise to save us from trials or even stress. We will still face battles. But he has promised victory to his people. He has promised protection from ultimate harm. As Jed said just a few minutes ago, to die is gain. If when I die, I'm going to be in eternity, in heaven, with Jesus, looking at him in the face... What could I possibly be afraid of? What harm could you possibly bring on me that could cause me to fear? So God will protect us from all harm that matters. Life is hard, and it will always be so. But what this psalm says is that our joy does not come from things being easy. Our joy comes from the hope of tomorrow that God himself has promised us. That our greatest days are ahead, that eternity awaits us, and that God has chosen to bring about that promise of hope and of identity and of, of glory and of salvation. He's promised to bring about that kingdom through us. We get to be the people that God shines through on this world. So what does it look like when we devote ourselves fully to God in a world of all these competing allegiances? What does it look like to truly lift our eyes out of the muck of the daily news cycle and instead focus on the one who truly deserves our devotion? For the next three weeks, we're going to rest in the psalm. We're looking at three ways that God makes his hope known to us here on earth. In two weeks, uh, I'm going to look at how God uses the church to bring about hope. We're going to look at what God says about his people and about the church and our mission and our identity together. Next week, we're going to look at how God communicates his hope through scripture, through the Bible, using the Bible to communicate his promise and our identity. And then this week... 
I want to talk to you about Jesus himself and how he was so much more than just merely a good teacher, but actually had the authority to change all of creation, that he changed the game for everyone forever and ushered in a new kingdom, a kingdom that we're still a part of today and we will be forevermore. So a little historical context. Believe it or not, Jesus only taught for about three years. Jesus only taught for three years. The entirety of Jesus' kind of on the road, walking from city to city, preaching with his disciples and all that, three years. Three. So all of this kind of, those, those three years with 12 guys wandering the countryside around one area around Jerusalem changed the world. Changed the world. But he walked around from city to city for three years. And he would be preaching, basically, uh, um, he would call out the, the political leaders. He would call out the, the religious leaders. And he'd cause believers, people who professed faith in God, to really start thinking about God in a different way. To think of him more encompassing. To get their life out of the box, out of the, the compartments that we put it in. And instead look at total devotion, what it means to live fully for him. And so as he would go from city to city and he would kind of push on these boundaries of the political elite or of the religious elite, there would be, there would be pushback. So Jesus was actually a pretty controversial figure. As he would be teaching around, people would, would be offended by being asked to think through their faith and to think through what they had already decided was reality. So because of this, he would invite slander. As he would go from city to city, people would throw insults at him. People would, would yell at him and call him names. During one of these interactions, an argument erupted about whether or not Jesus and his followers could actually be called children of Abraham. In other words, because he pressed against the, uh, the box, the border of what was considered normal, a lot of people who were in power were saying, well, then you can't be one of us. You must be a them. You must be an other. You must not be one of us. And if you're not one of us, if you're not with us, then you're against us. And if you're against us, then you're from the devil. And so he would get these accusations about being demon-possessed or being other. And we're going to look at one of those today in John 8. So after he had gone through a bunch of teaching, John 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, real quick, Samaritans, this was a people group right outside of Jerusalem. Um, they were considered kind of outside the normal Hebrew community. And so what this statement is saying is that the, the Jews around him are saying, you are an other, you are an outsider, you are not welcome here, and in fact, you're evil. By saying that. So are you a Samaritan and demon-possessed? And Jesus' response in verse 49. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you. Now pause real quick. Anytime you see very truly or truly truly or verily I tell you, anytime you see that in Scripture, Jesus is about to drop a bomb. All right, Jesus is about to hit you with something big, okay? He's saying, listen, this is important. But very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Bold words. Verse 52, 
At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And that's confusing to them. So they go, you're not 50 years old, they said, and you've seen Abraham? Remember, Abraham died generations and generations and generations before this. And then here's Jesus again. Very truly, I tell you. So he's about to drop the bomb. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So verse 58 very truly. So we know he's about to drop a bomb. And he says, before Abraham was born, I am. And then everybody freaks out. Why? In English, it looks like bad grammar. I am. It should say I was or whatever we want to say. But to understand this verse takes a, a little bit of historical context. We need to understand kind of the languages that it was written in. Okay? You see, Jesus, being in uh, around first century Jerusalem, would have actually spoken a language called Aramaic. Okay, Aramaic was kind of a Hebraic language at the time, and it was spoken by a lot of the people in the area. So actually most of the disciples, most of the people around Jerusalem, what they're speaking is Aramaic. Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, uh, is the language of the temple. So the temple would teach in biblical Hebrew. By the way, biblical Hebrew is no longer pronounced today. Uh, now we use a different version of Hebrew. And then John, who's writing this book, is writing it originally in Koine Greek, which is the language of the Roman Empire. So already, even before we get into English, we're talking Aramaic to Hebrew to Koine Greek. And then we translate to English. So when he's saying, I am, he's actually saying this word in Aramaic and Proto-Hebrew, Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh is the old Hebrew name of God. Yahweh, if you translate it, it doesn't really translate correctly into English. It's this conjugation meaning basically to be. But it's not just I am. It's also I was. It's also I will be. I forever will be. I cause myself to be. It's, it, to translate it fully in English, I'd have to write a book. <laughs> but Essentially, it's this concept of not only do I exist, I am, but I have always been, and I always will be. So what Jesus is saying here is, I tell you the truth, very truly I tell you, that even before Abraham was born, I was, I am, I will, am, I am eternal. So in other words, Jesus is saying, I am God. And of course, people freak out when he says that. Now pause here. That means that if you've ever been 
in the mindset of, well, Jesus is a great teacher and I love what he has to teach, but I'm not sure if I could actually believe that he's God. Well, he claimed to be God. <laughs> so if you believe him, he's God. If you don't believe him, that's a different question. We can have that later. But he literally said at this moment, I am the creator of heaven and earth on earth. Now, that's the confusing thing. We can talk about the Trinity and we'd be here all day. But the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all one person, in, uh, one God, three persons. But long story short, Jesus is God on earth. And he claims to be God. He's not just a teacher or a prophet. He is God. What does this mean? This means that Jesus, as God, he has ultimate authority. He has been a part of creation from the very beginning. And in fact, John 1.1, 1, 1, the very first thing he says is, in the beginning was the Word. He's actually referring to one of the, the, the titles of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. And as God, he had all authority under heaven and earth. All authority under heaven and earth. And here's the kicker. He claims you as his child. And this is where I want to rest for a little bit. Jesus has authority over all of creation. He knows every thought in your head, even the dark ones that you're afraid to tell yourself. And he loves you. Not only that, he cherishes you. He knows who you are. He willingly put himself on a cross, willingly went to an execution for you. He loves you that much. The creator of the universe, the one who knows every single star by its name, he knows how many hairs are on your head, thinks you are so important, so amazing, so cherished that he was willing to die for you. That is the source of truth and power. That is a reason for our devotion. That is a reason for our worship. Romans 5 verse 6 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die in their behalf. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loves you. Jesus loves you so much that he didn't wait for you to clean up your life before going to the cross on your behalf. He didn't wait for you to clean everything up and get out of your mess in order to offer forgiveness to you. We do not need to come to the cross already clean because it is the cross that cleans us. That's how much Jesus loves you. Power, authority over all of creation. He is the king of kings. But died to pay our price was meant for us. He took our sin. He paid our price. No one earned that place. No one earned that honor. No one earned the role of child of God. We were given it freely. We have been adopted as children 
of God. He's claimed us as his children, his people, forgiven of all of our messes. Folks, do not settle for any lesser identity. Don't settle for anything else. Guys, opinions are fine. Passion is awesome. I love passion. Be passionate about whatever you can be. Diversity is great. But our identity does not rest in our opinions. Our identity rests in Jesus. Do not accept any identity thrust upon you that is less. This means that our identity does not come from man. It doesn't come from rulers. It doesn't come from political parties. It doesn't come from sports affiliations. It certainly doesn't come from whether or not your guy won the election or not. It doesn't come from that. Our identity, our purpose, comes from one place, and that is that we are children of God. So where does our help truly come from? Our help comes from Jesus. Our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from God, who guides our steps and leads us to where we need to be. God alone is worthy of our devotion. God alone is worthy of our allegiance. God alone is worthy of our worship because he loves you so completely. Whoever sits in that resolute desk does not know your name, most likely. I don't know your, your story. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> most likely, he doesn't know your name. Jesus knows your name. Jesus died for you. Don't settle for a lesser identity. And let me just say this here. Honestly, politics is exciting. Um, we happen to live in an amazing nation where we get to voice our opinions and expectations through voting. Politics is exciting, by all means. Uh, so it's good to exercise your right to vote, good to participate in the process. I'm not saying that. Uh, same way that like, team affiliation is exciting. It's awesome. Great. You're a, you're a Mac guy or an Apple guy or an Android guy. Awesome. Whatever, wherever you land in these spectrums, by all means, celebrate the wins, mourn the losses, cheer your team on. That, that's fun. That's great. It's, it's even impactful. But do not let your identity be defined by them because your identity comes from him. Don't let your passion for those opinions make you lose sight of where our hope truly comes from. So what does this mean to live like this? What does it mean to live in this sense of devotion, to lift our eyes out of the muck and look at Jesus for all that he is, for who he is, for what he has done for us, and give him our total devotion. What does that actually look like? Well, one of the big realities here is God died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. That means he died for other people while they were still sinners too. Which means we have to resist putting a human face on the battles we face. You understand? We have to resist putting a human face on the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
As Jesus followers, our mission is too important to waste any time fighting amongst ourselves. We are a people of love, not division. We are a people of hope, not anger. We are a people of healing and restoration and reconciliation, not violence and wounding. So go ahead and cheer on your team. Share your opinions and celebrate victories and mourn losses. But do not plant your identity on anything less than being a child of God. Because our battle is not against people. Our battle is against the real enemy, against sin, against the darkness that pervades this world. Our role in this is when we have when we realize that hope of what Jesus gives us that identity that we have as children of God that identity our job is to bring that hope to others which means the people on the other side of this battle if they have a human face guess what Jesus died for them too and it's our job to invite them into the same hope because the reality is that with Jesus any time that we draw a line between us and them, Jesus crosses that line and invites you to join him. Because with Jesus, there is no us and them. There is only us because Jesus offers this forgiveness for everyone. Why? Because he died for us while we were still sinners. So today as we go forward from this place, I say we go forward wholeheartedly devoted to the king of kings defined by this undeserved grace and united in this world-changing love that invites other people to hope alongside us. We have a battle to fight, but it's not against people, it's against sin. So let's lift our eyes from the muck, from the daily grind, from the daily news cycle, and let's focus our allegiance, our devotion, and our worship to the real source of our hope, Jesus because he is the one that has died for you. He is the one who offers us real freedom. He is the one who cherishes you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what, what messes you have. It doesn't matter what background you have. God loves you so much that he already died for you. That is worthy of our devotion. Let's not lose sight of that. No matter what happens, Jesus is king, which means there is reason to celebrate. There is reason for unbridled joy. There is reason for dancing in the streets and to celebrate this fact. That God's got us. That Jesus has already saved us. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you are so amazing. I cannot fathom this. You Love me so much that you came down and you lived my life and you paid my price and you died my death. I do not deserve that. All I can say is thank you. I can never earn that. So God, I ask for help. Lift my eyes out of the muck. Lift my eyes to the hills to see where my help truly comes from. It comes from you, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift our eyes to you. Let us rest in this, in this amazing, life-changing, world-changing love that you've offered us into this identity as your child adopted into faith by you, God. God, let us rest in that reality. 
And let your light shine in us that others may see that. God, we want to be your people. We want to focus on you. We are so very thankful for the freedom that you've given us, freedom from sin, freedom from death, because you love us. God, you are good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.